Amen. All right. You got me? Amen. That was just good, y'all. I'm sorry. That was just, amen. Some of you have um, asked about the tapes that came, that arrived, that showed up. And I just want to say that um, they're out there and that if you buy these tapes, all the proceeds go to feed hungry children. I'll see him as soon as I get home. Uh, no. If you looked in your bulletin, then you realized that um, the text that I was supposed to preach from was misprinted because it was the same text that I was supposed to preach from last night. I'm not going to be preaching from that text. Well, I'm going to take this opportunity to not preach from the other text that I was supposed to preach from either. I want to share something with you today that I believe is a pressing issue in the body of Christ. And it's a pressing issue in the area of evangelism. I'm so glad that we had a uh, breakout session, a conference on it. And uh, I would love to have been able to go. But we had, how many of you went to the worship evangelism session? Okay, good. Then you know that's an issue that we deal with uh, regularly. It is a pressing issue in the body of Christ. There are churches that are dividing over the issue of worship. They're dividing over questions of style and over some questions of substance. But usually it's an argument about preference. But something is missing. And that something that is missing usually is a biblical theology of worship. A biblical understanding of what worship is supposed to be all about. I believe that when we do it the right way, just as the session indicated, worship can be an incredible and should be an incredible evangelistic tool. With that in mind, would you open your Bibles with me to Psalm number 96. And I want us to look at Psalm number 96. And just hear what it is that the psalmist has to teach us about genuine biblical worship. As we begin, I want to begin with a definition. Bruce Leafblad defines true worship as setting our mind's attention and heart's affection on the Lord, praising Him for who He is and for what He has done. I like that. True worship happens when we set our mind's attention and our heart's affection on the Lord, praising Him for who He is and for what He's done. I like it, first of all, because He distinguishes between true worship and false worship. There's a lot of worship that goes on that's not true worship. I remember watching the World Series, this last World Series, and I know you guys probably are not Yankee fans, and I'm not either, but they're good. And the Yankees won. And I'm watching this game. At the end of the game, I think it was like, I don't know, the second game that they won in New York. And they cranked it up over the PA system. You know what it was. Old Blue Eyes starts spreading the news. That song, New York, New York, cranked up over the system. The game was over. It's cold outside. Me, I'm thinking if the game is over, I'm gone like 30 minutes ago. It looked like we were getting ready to win. It's cold. I'll kiss the rest of it on the radio. They're still out there. And there's this one guy, Yankee jacket, Yankee hat, Yankee, I don't know, he Yankee everything. 
And he's got his arms spread out wide and he's singing until you can see the veins in his neck. I'm thinking to myself, he's worshiping. He was. He was worshiping. But it wasn't true worship. But it was worship. Folks, we're worshipers. That's who we are. We're going to worship something. But true worship happens when we set our minds, attention, and heart's affection on the Lord. I love that definition also because he says minds, attention, and heart's affection. And there is a movement in the current worship movement. There is an undercurrent in the modern worship movement that says that what we're supposed to do is turn off our minds and check our minds at the door. Matter of fact, many of the songs coming down the pike today have nothing to do with objective reality about who God is. It's just about how I feel about Him right now. But true worship happens when we worship Him in spirit and in truth, with our mind's attention and our heart's affection. And we praise Him for who He is and what He's done. Not just for what He's done. If it's just for what he's done, then I only worship the Lord when I feel like he's done something that I want to worship him for. But if I worship him for who he is, and I realize that regardless of the situations and circumstances in my life, he's intrinsically worthy of worship. Regardless of how I feel, he is intrinsically worthy of worship. Now, lest you think this definition was just made up, I want you to look with me at Psalm number 96. First, I want you to look at the first line in Psalm number 96. I love that line. I'm glad it's there. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. I'm glad that that's there. Because if it wasn't there, we'd still be singing the Psalms. Amen. It's amazing you hear this debate over so-called contemporary worship services and traditional worship services. You know what's so ironic about that? The traditional worship service has its origins circa 1950. You know the traditional worship service. We sing three hymns in a special and followed by three points in a poem. And we do that regardless of what God says. Amen. And then we have the so-called contemporary worship service. And its origins are circa 1970 in the Jesus movement. Folks wanted to bring their guitars into the church. A whole lot of people said, nope, can't do that. Started a whole lot of other churches where they could bring their guitars and not wear shoes and have their long hair and do whatever they wanted to. And they began as a result of a movement of God in their generation to worship God and express their worship of God. In their own cultural way. And these two traditions have grown up side by side. And now they're warring with one another. We're dividing over it. Both of them are traditions. One circa 1950, one circa 1970. And both of them are extremely traditional. You know exactly what's going to happen in contemporary worship service. They happen the same way every time. You know, we come in and we sing a few upbeat songs, and then there's a prayer, and then we slow things down and move into worship. It's a pattern. We always follow that pattern. Matter of fact, it's more traditional because we use fewer songs. Find out the popular songs that people are jumping all over nowadays, and we just sing those songs. But it's a tradition nonetheless. But here's what I want to say, regardless of how we feel about those songs, and we can talk about the content of those songs and whatever. But the text is clear. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Folks, Fanny Crosby was not the last person to be touched by God to write worship songs. <laughs> Hello, somebody. 
There's some folks in this generation that know God too. And they got some stuff to say about it. And we ought to be excited about that fact. And we ought to look forward to that. We ought to be excited that God is still working in people's lives and they want to sing about it. And we ought to encourage it. Because it's biblical. Not forsaking anything that's good. Not forsaking anything in our past. Because we are linked to the past. We are linked to an ancient faith. We should never give up our past. But we should also never forsake the fresh and new things that God is always doing because His mercies are new every morning. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. What kind of song? Worship songs. It just gave you a definition of worship. Set our minds, attention, and hearts affection on the Lord, praising for who He is and for what He's done. You think I just made it up. Verse 2. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Everybody say who He is. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Say what He's done. In case you didn't get it the first time, tell of His glory among the nations. Who He is. His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. What He's done. In case you didn't get it the first two times. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Who He is. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Hello. Praise Him for who He is and for what He's done. But do you notice that there's two audiences there? One of the audiences is God. Who's the other audience? The nations. The nations. We sing about who our God is and we sing about what our God has done. Why? So that the nations can see and know our God. Worship is an evangelistic tool. You catching this? So we don't compromise content for lost people. We never compromise content for lost people. They need it. Why? Because that's the way that they see who our God is. And that's the way that they see what our God has done. We proclaim it. We say it over and over and over again so that they know who He is and they know what He's done. Not just how we feel. But objective truths, objective realities about who He is. Objective truths and objective realities about what He's done. In the past... And last night, if need be, constantly, because His mercies are new every morning. And that's what we do. There's three different types of songs sort of referenced here. One's a vertical type song, singing about His salvation, what He's done in my life. That's me singing to God about what God's done for me. You can be in the room if you want to. doesn't matter. Vertical songs like, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. That's me singing to God. There can be a thousand of us in here together. Who cares? Right now, I'm just carving out some space, drawing a circle around myself, and I'm worshiping my God. Thank you for being here, but right now, me and Jesus got some stuff going on that you may understand or you may not, but I got to do this just for a little while if it's okay with you. But if that's all we do, which unfortunately is a trend in so-called contemporary worship, then we forsake corporate worship. 
And why gather if that's all we're going to do? There must also be the horizontal song where we sing corporately about the things God has done for us as a people. Where we encourage one another. Where we lift up the name of Jesus because there's some brothers and sisters who came in and need to be lifted up and encouraged. And their vertical relationship may be a little sloppy right now. They may not even be able to be ushered into the presence of God vertically and deal with him on that level. But when we sing those horizontal songs about who our God is, they're encouraged. Every once in a while they need us to just sing for them. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. But still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and filled with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Folks, if something wrong in your life and the body starts singing that, you just get better real fast. That line in that song, let good and kindred go, this mortal life also, this body they may kill, God's truth abide us still, his kingdom is forever. Man, how did you, you, you can't just have, you can't stay messed up when folks are singing that to you. We've got to sing horizontal songs, but then there's what I like to call transcendent songs. Just objective realities about who God is. Objective realities about what God's done. Not necessarily singing them vertically or horizontally. We're just singing them. We're just putting them out there. A couple of reasons. One, every once in a while the enemy just needs to be reminded that he's defeated and he needs to go down the street. <laughs> Amen. But every once in a while the nations need to hear us sing about how they can know our God and what our God's done for them. Whether they know it or not, or whether they understand it or not. We got little ones among us. They don't know Jesus. But if we can sing some things around them that can help them catch on to who he is and what he's done for them, later on in life, it'll bless them. Here's what happens. Look at the picture. Look at the picture of what happens when we get worship. Look at verse 6. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in the sanctuary. Can you imagine if like a lost person came to your church and then they went back home and the rest of the people in their house or on their street or whatever were talking to them. Hey, I heard you went down to that church, you know, so-and-so church. How was it when you were there? I just, splendor and majesty and strength and beauty. It just, those people, when they, they, I'm going back. (laughs) That's what it ought to be like. It's so beautiful when we worship together, when we mean it, when we are passionate about it. Don't tell me that stuff about you just not a passionate person. Help you. I'll take you to a football game. Watch people who sit on their church in hand, on their hands at church, watch a sweaty, nasty man carry a piece of pig across a piece of chalk, and they'll lose their ever-loving minds. But when we talk to, about Jesus, who won victory not over the NFC or the AFC, but over death, hell, and the grave, didn't win a victory, he's got to win again next year, but a once-for-all victory, you can't even get a hallelujah out of people. Tell me you're not passionate. You are passionate about everything that means something to you. 
And if you're genuinely setting your mind's attention and heart's affection on the Lord, and you're reminding yourself and being reminded by others of who He is and what He's done, something on the inside of you is going to well up, and there's going to be splendor and majesty and beauty and strength in the sanctuary as we get that. It starts with us in leadership. Can I just say this, Pastor? If you're using corporate worship time to finish preparing your message, you're crippling your people. I'm just going to say this because I don't have to ever come back. (laughs) If you view our time of corporate singing as somebody being prepared to hear from you, shame on you. It is not filler. When we get the glory, you're the ones who are going to be out of a job. No need for preachers in glory. The Lord will be our all in all. But everybody's going to worship. It's not filler, folks. It's not getting people ready for, you know, just get them, get them ready, make them fertile ground to hear the word. No! Take them to the throne room. And when it's my turn, make sure that I'm all right. Because I might just be laid out somewhere still at the throne room. And if I am, just y'all just go ahead and keep on until I'm ready to come back. Because I'm a worshiper before I'm a preacher. Worship's not just something I go to. It's not just something I do. It's something that I am. I urge you, therefore, brethren, in view of the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. Why? Because that's your reasonable service of worship. That's the only thing that makes sense, that you would become an act of worship. And then there's glory, and there's majesty, and there's splendor in the room. And here's the technical stuff. Here's how it happens. Listen to this. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And I thought we just talked about ascribing to the Lord. No, there's a difference between singing and ascribing. I want you to understand, my wife helped me understand this difference, this distinction. See, I grew up, I was, I was, I was, I was weaned on Motown. Some of y'all might not be that spiritual, but the rest of you just keep growing in grace. You'll understand Motown. If you just get spiritual enough. Saturday morning would come, and I'd be in the bed, and my mother would wake up. She'd open all the windows, and she'd, you know, open all the blinds, and she'd turn on some old Motown. See, Saturday was cleaning day, and I would wake up to Motown. Some of y'all Baptist folks, is he up there dancing? You got a problem with that? You better stop reading the Psalms. And I would wake up and we'd clean a while and then we'd dance a while and then we'd clean a while and we'd dance. I just, I just look, still to this day, old Motown songs come on. I think about Mama. I think about the Saturday cleaning day. I think about, I'm just not going to get over old Motown songs. The old Motown love song. See these love songs today? Well, anyway, I won't even get started. But, you know, but I used to sing those songs. But I learned the difference between singing and describing. When I went to a dance in college, 
looked across the crowded room, and I saw her. Lord, have mercy. It's all right. She's my wife now. I went over and asked that woman to dance. She said, no, I haven't stopped chasing her since. No. No, I don't want to dance with you. Well, I'm not leaving until you do. Okay, let's dance. We went and we danced, and she and she went, did whatever, went with her friend, on left, went, whatever. We were on two separate campuses. I was at Rice University. She was at Texas Southern. She's a little bit across town from me. I show up on the campus. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a driver's license. Matter of fact, I didn't get a driver's license until we got ready to get married. We would get a marriage license, and they said, you need ID. I didn't have ID, so I went to get a driver's license so I could get a marriage license. And I didn't understand those old Motown songs until I started chasing this girl. I'd be on her campus looking around talking about, tell me, have you seen her? I'd show up looking at her. She'd say, boy, how did you get here? You don't even have a car. I said, girl, ain't no mountain high enough to keep me from getting to you. Those old songs I used to sing, boy, now I was ascribing them. They were real to me now. For some of the folks to whom we minister, the same thing happens with Amazing Grace. They sing them and they sing them and they sing them and then one day they get it. When they get it, and I'm just singing, they're ascribing that to God. It becomes their own personal heart cry. It's theirs. They've taken ownership of it. That's when genuine worship happens. When we take ownership of those things. And we're not just trying to sing pretty. We're not just trying to follow. We mess up words. We mess up notes and everything else. But that's all right Because it is a genuine expression of what we think and feel about this God whom we serve. That's what genuine worship does for us. Look at the next thing that happens for us. And we're going to hurry through these here. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Offering is a tangible expression of worship. Giving is a tangible expression of worship. It's not something we have to be ashamed of. It's not something we ever have to be ashamed of. Giving is a tangible expression of worship. Let people know that. It's an act of worship. It's a symbolic expression of God's worth to us. Worship doesn't stop when we give. Sometimes that's when it really starts, when we give. Sometimes that's the most profound statement that we make to God in our entire worship service, is what we give or don't give. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Worship is about righteousness. When genuine worship begins to happen, people can't just live any old kind of way anymore. When we get serious about true worship, when we get serious about coming before the Lord and setting our minds, attention, and hearts, affection on Him and praising Him for who He is and for what He has done, we're reminded of His holiness. And when we become reminded of His holiness, we become reminded of our lack thereof. And it doesn't sit well with us. We must worship him in holy attire. We must. 
we have got to be clean on the inside. When we come before the Lord, we have got to be a holy people. We must hold up holiness and reverence before those whom we lead in this act. Because it's that holiness and that reverence that brings about that splendor and beauty and majesty in the sanctuary. When they see that the testimony of our lives is consistent with the testimony of our lips. That's genuine biblical worship. When it flows out of who we are. And here's what happens when we do it right. Listen to this. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the fields exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees and the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. What's all this going on? Why is the whole world so excited and rejoicing? Look, for He is coming. The whole world is anticipating His coming. All of the earth is anticipating His coming. Folks, when we sing and when we worship, we ought to do it in such a way that we actually anticipate and look forward to His coming. I was preaching at Glorieta, New Mexico a couple of years ago. And some of you I've met who were there at that time. And school had just started, just kind of school started in an odd time. And our kids were going to private school at that time. My son was just getting ready to go to school for his first day. And I was going to have to miss it. And it was breaking my heart. And I picked up the phone, and I called the house. I wanted to pray for him and encourage him before he went off to school. And I picked up the phone. He just lost a couple of teeth. And he said, you know, Daddy, thank you for calling me. I said, you're welcome. He said, I love you. He said, I love you too. I said, Daddy? Yes. Who's sleeping with you? I said, boy, I, I sleep with nobody but your mama. What do you mean who's sleeping with me? Nobody's sleeping with me. Why? Oh, man. I said, what? I knew I should have went with you so you wouldn't be lonely. I said, son, tell you mama I'll call back later. I hung up the phone. And I wept. I had that night and another day to go before I got home. I stood up to preach that night, and that next night, my heart was gone. I knew that I still had work to do. I knew that the Lord was not finished with me in that place, but something on the inside of me had left and was gone and could not wait until I got to where I ultimately wanted to be, although I still had work to do. And when genuine worship happens, when real worship happens, we ought to be a people who come to that place where we sing about Jesus and think about Jesus and talk about Jesus and glory that awaits us and something on the inside of us ought to just go home. So much so that we say to God, I realize that there are things that I still have to do. I realize that I'm not finished here yet. But I cannot wait until that day when I behold you face to face. Because I realize right here and right now in this moment that this is not my home. This is not where I belong. And some of us don't understand that. Some of us don't get that because we bought the lie of this world. And when I begin to buy that lie, I think about my heritage. I've never been a slave. Never known a slave. But there are slaves in my family. 
Now, I picture in my mind what it must have been like. And I think about it in my mind on those hot East Texas days, picking cotton. Not just picking cotton, picking somebody else's cotton. Not just picking somebody else's cotton, but picking somebody else's cotton and not getting paid for it. I think about that. And you know what amazes me? It's when I think about that, I always think about people picking somebody else's cotton, not about to get paid for it, but singing. Singing what? Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. Was a band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Why did they sing that? Because they realized that this was not their home. Here, there was inequity, but there was a place that was coming where there was no inequity. Here, there was danger on every side, but there was a place that was coming where there was no danger. Here, there was toil and sweat and tears, but a day was going to come when the Lord would wipe the tears away from their eyes and say, well done, good and faithful servants. I don't know what you do with your life, but whatever you do with your life, all it amounts to is picking somebody else's cotton, because this is not your home. We are going to glory someday, and we are going to sing and shout and worship the Lord Almighty throughout all eternity. Hallelujah.